Oh, hi. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. On today's episode, Stephanie and I are joined by Diana Adams, who is a lawyer for LGBTQ and non-traditional families, a political activist for sexual freedom between consenting adults, an open poly queer who hosts polyamory cocktails and has for the past six years, who's done international media about her poly family, including MTV, and a law professor at Cornell Law speaking for new family forms to the powerful. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're bringing today. So we're going to interview Diana, and then the three of us will address questions that you've submitted. We'll do our quickies. There'll be a tour update and a song from Bonabana Bonabo. So uh, call us, write to us, send us questions you'd like us to address on future episodes, and just let us know what you think about anything and everything in general. You can find all our contact info at our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. Enjoy. Our love is what we make of it. 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 Sex for smart people. That means you. Hi, welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave. My preferred pronoun is he. I'm Stephanie. I go by she or they. And I'm Diana Adams, joining for today. And I go by she or sir, if you'd like. <laughs> Excellent. Diana, we're so honored to have you in conversation with us. I just think all the work that you do is so badass. And, um, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Aww, thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. And... Um, the frame for this interview, as always, is what is your relationship to relationships? What is my relationship to relationships? Well, um, I spend my life and my passion helping people create relationships with intention. And in my work as a family mediator and a family lawyer, I work with poly people, with queer people, with gender nonconforming people, with lesbian and gay couples, with monogamous couples and many varieties of people to decide how they want to build their romantic relationships, how they want to build their family relationships. Do they want to build it based on romance or based on child rearing or live communally? And my desire is to share the good news that we can build relationships the way we want to. And there isn't one set model for doing that. So I like to support people with really thinking through the challenging questions in building relationship. Um, seeing what has happened for people who've had struggles with that and helping people really make binding covenants, really deep emotional bonds and connections and commitments to each other, sometimes through commitment ceremonies, sometimes through making legal agreements. And that's something I'm really passionate about because I've built a really enriching polyamorous life for myself. And I feel really grateful for that. And for a long time, I didn't think that that was possible and that that was an option. I came from a very traditional Christian background and I went through seven years of Ivy League education in which there was sort of a message that I could do whatever I wanted, but there were five good options. And everybody was sort of channeled into wanting to uh, succeed in the hamster wheel of life and do all the things we were expected to do really well to build ourselves the perfect Wikipedia page. And I decided that I, I, I just really wasn't happy with that. And I explored, am I depressed? Is there something wrong with me? Why don't I want to have a fancy 90-hour-a-week job? And why don't I want to be monogamous with a really controlling rich guy? Um, why don't you? <laughs> I know. I, I really tried. Um, and some of them were lovely. Um, but I really built my own career um, after doing lots of meditation retreats and yoga and Burning Man and self-exploration. I built my own career and built my own relationships. And... I'm really grateful now. I have a wonderful primary partnership with my partner of almost seven years, Ed. We're having a commitment ceremony this spring. 
Um, I have three really deep connections with male lovers I've been seeing from a range of several years to uh, seven months, people who are just really close friends in my life and um, with whom romance and sexuality is one of the realms that I explore. And I have a really different connection with each of them and with my wonderful girlfriend of several years. So I have these wonderful, different, juicy connections in my life that feed me as as a dyke, that feed me as um, a little girl who wants to be pampered, that feed me as a dom, that feed me as um, so many different parts of myself that I'm able to express and play with. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I also have wonderful people in my life I'm building family with as chosen family. I live with um, a chosen sister who wants to keep living with my partner Ed and I while we have a child and help us raise our child. And I'm really grateful for that. So I've gotten so much out of this and I've, I've really struggled to learn how to do this well and to communicate about what I wanted and figure out what I wanted and help other people around me do that. And so now I'm really thrilled that my job is to help other people do that. I think it's so beautiful that you found what works for you in your personal life and then in your professional life you're fighting for the rights of other people to be able to to do the same and um there's so much that i'd love to unpack but i guess what are what is your your professional work look like from day to day these times what are the greatest needs what are the greatest challenges well often um, because i'm working with couples and polyamorous triads and quads um, and sometimes platonic co-parents. I'm dealing with the issues state by state about how people can form legal relationships, whether that's with same-sex marriage, whether that's lesbian co-parenting. And I'm often working with people for whom their relationship does not fit into the models that we have with our government right now. They don't fit into one of the options of boxes of either you know, straight two-person marriage or polyamorous, you know, polyamorous triad doesn't fit into that in any direction. So many people don't fit into the categories of do people want to get a domestic partnership as two people? Do they want to get a marriage? And I'm, for instance, I'm helping a polyamorous triad right now figure out whether they want to have uh, in this triad in which there's one woman in a relationship with a man and a woman. Um, they're a polyamorous V and they live together and they want to have a child. The man cannot have children. So they have a separate sperm donor. So we'll be negotiating with the sperm donor, what his relationship if any will be with the child. And then deciding which of those two people is going to marry the biological mother just for the purposes of having their name on the birth certificate at the birth. Very complicated. So often I'm helping people decide, um, who in a group of three people is going to be the second legal parent uh, for a child, for instance, whether that be a lesbian couple with an involved sperm donor who wants to maybe be a dad, or whether that be a polyamorous triad. It's very easy for us to get a second person, either male or female, to be the parent uh, of the child and fill in that usual dad's spot on the birth certificate, even if it's a female uh, same-sex partner then who's married. But we don't really have a provision yet for that third person. I can try to do a guardianship. I can try to get the third, the first third parent adoption in New York State passed. Okay, so cool. It, I would like to do that. That's on the <laughs> goal list. Um, there have been 
third parent adoptions in Alaska and in California. And in those cases, there was a lesbian couple with a man donating sperm who wanted to actually be the father. And so traditionally, there'd be two ways that somebody could be the second legal parent. Either um, we could have the, the, the man who's giving the sperm stay involved as the father, and so he's biologically connected to the father, and if he doesn't relinquish his rights, he's the dad. And if there's a lesbian partner who's married to mom who gives birth, she could also be the legal parent. And so those situations can create a, a moment of possibility for a three-parent legal family. Mm -hmm. And in those contexts, that has happened successfully in California and in Alaska, and I'm going to try to do one of those in New York State. So if anybody out there is in that situation, mm -hmm. call me. Oh my God. Um, it's exciting. And then maybe after that, um, perhaps a polyamorous triad. I think that might not be the first test case because hmm. polyamory and the idea of three people being in a relationship together is much more controversial and harder for bureaucrats to wrap their heads around. And speaking to that, I think it's sometimes harder for bureaucrats to wrap their heads around, but also lots of really intelligent, enlightened people that I know I think it can be hard to wrap your head around. And um, so I'm so excited about the work that you're doing, and I know that a lot of people are, but what would you say to those who maybe do find this work very controversial or have a have a really deep and deep belief in in a, a certain definition of family as honestly best for for kids or for relationships um, well i have a lot of respect for people's ability to choose relationship and family the way they want to and that includes the ability to decide that you want a monogamous heterosexual nuclear family and i, I think that's absolutely valid and i support many couples for instance in planning how they want to structure their monogamous fairly traditional marriages and how they want to raise their children and i also support the right of people to make different choices and so to those who are concerned about the effects on children, for instance, of being in a non-traditional family structure, I treat that with fierce compassion and understand that that is, is likely coming from a place of genuine concern and, and well-intention. And so I'm interested in, in looking at what, what the effects are on children. And the research that I've seen has at this point pointed to stability of parental figures as being one of the really key factors for children. And there can be problems with having instability of parental figures, whether you have a heterosexual married couple who get divorced and mom or dad has lots of new serial monogamous relationships that seem like marriage right away and the person is practically living with the family and acts like a stepmom or stepdad and then is gone after a year. Um, that's really difficult for kids. It could also be very difficult for kids if... Um, in a polyamorous triad, there was somebody who maybe took on a parental role who wasn't going to be in the child's life long term. Um, so I try to help people create stability by thinking about how they're going to build intentional partnerships. I think that when you're choosing something that's different than the normal picture of what we have in our minds as, okay, mom, dad, two kids, picket fence, when we're choosing to build something differently, we often don't have a model for what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that that's really challenging for people and people who might be really well-intentioned can sometimes um, run, uh, you know, astray of what could be best for stability for the child long-term. One example of that that I see really frequently is um, if there's a lesbian couple or a fierce single mom by choice who's having a known sperm donor as opposed to an anonymous sperm bank, a known sperm donor who's going to donate sperm, if people don't really do that with um, a lot of thought about what is our intention here? Am I going to be the father? Am I going to be the sperm donor? Um, if people make the mistake of sort of downloading this very serious document as a template from the internet and just signing it, which I really don't recommend, not because I want people to spend more money hiring people like me, but because I really think that that's such an important agreement that it really needs some tweaking and it really needs some conversation. And so I've worked on many cases in which people have just sort of gone with the flow of what felt right. And it's very easy in these situations to have the, the sperm donor figure sometimes be treated like a sperm donor and sometimes be treated like a dad. And that does not work legally or emotionally very well. So, for instance, people download a sperm donor agreement from the internet and sign it. So, okay, he's a sperm donor. But then they want there to be a, a daddy name on the birth certificate, so they have him sign the birth certificate, which makes him the legal father. Those two legal documents completely contradict each other. And then perhaps he calls himself a sperm donor when it comes time to thinking about paying for the child. Mm -hmm. But when he's taking the kid to the park on the weekends, he's the dad, the proud dad. Um, maybe mom wants him to be the dad for purposes of the preschool picnic because she doesn't want to be the only person without a male figure there. But when it comes time to making all the decisions, he's just a sperm donor. And then these kinds of situations often unravel um, several years down the road. And I, so because I've seen that many times and I've seen that kind of conflict, that makes me especially passionate about helping people before a child is involved, before they've made any kind of long-term commitments. Be so intentional. Be really intentional. Yeah. So, because in addition to your legal work, you also work as a family mediator or a fam or even like a family counselor? I'm a family mediator. And so I do dispute resolution for things like divorce and I do divorce mediation, which I'm actually really passionate about. Divorce mediation sounds really yucky, but I really love helping people um, separate with dignity mm. and have difficult conversations about money and trust and child custody um, with respect, acknowledging people's stories and people's emotions and creating an agreement that both of them are happy with that will not traumatize them with an ugly court process. So I do family dissolution and I also do family formation mediation in which I might Yay. sit with, which is much more fun in many ways. I, I sit with maybe a lesbian couple and their possible sperm donor and maybe his partner. And we'll all sort of talk about what all of the intentions are and I'll pose difficult questions like, so potential sperm donor, you don't have any other siblings who have children and you're not going to have children at this point. How will your parents feel? Are they going to want to treat this, this child like a grandchild? And how will we all feel about that? What language do you want your mom to use if she's going to be an involved person in the child's life? Because if she wants the child to call her grandma, but everybody else is calling you a sperm donor, that could be very confusing for a four-year-old. And mm -hmm. um, we sort of talk through these kinds of issues. Um, and sometimes, rarely, we'll get to a stopping point where people say, oh, wow, that's really not what I wanted, and I'm really sad. I think this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And that is really sad. And I, I sit with people in that, in that grief process. But I also take that as a real victory, because we were able to figure this out now yeah. without... Kids being torn in the middle without mm -hmm. court, with any kind of, uh, you know, pain and trauma in the future. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in a recent interview with 14CarrotLiving.com, uh, you said something that uh, really re resonated with us, which is that single mothers are the largest group of people in poverty in this country. Historically, in our welfare state, the answer is, well, just get them married, rather than disentangling financial support from a sexual relationship. We have this historical baggage about women being in a sexual relationship in exchange for financial support during their mothering years, and I think that's dangerous. I'm interested in supporting people while the law is catching up. So, is the law catching up? Gradually it is. Um, a wonderful group, then called Alternatives to Marriage Project, now called Unmarried Equality, actually got the millions of dollars of welfare funding that went toward marriage promotion. Um, they got that that provision dropped. That was basically repealed several years ago, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So up until that point, they're literally in the welfare offices and public assistance offices, women would go in as single mothers and they would hand them pamphlets with rings on them, you know, really encouraging them to get into a heterosexual <laughs> monogamous marriage, which I find absolutely shocking and, and find it's like pimping them out. Like, I find, <laughs> I find that to be pimping. Yeah. I think that's straight up pimping. Um, you know, go have sex with a man who will pay your rent. Um, tart, ah! tart yourself up and go to a nice hotel. Maybe you'll meet a businessman. I mean, that was basically two steps from what they were saying. So um, I find that really problematic. And while we're celebrating same-sex marriage right now, and I think same-sex marriage is fantastic, and we're going to see lots more journey with that after Perry and Windsor in different states, different battles all around the country right now about same-sex marriage. And that's very valuable because... Federal marriage conveys over a thousand different rights and privileges. However, it's a middle-term goal. Right now, marriage is the gatekeeper for all of those benefits, and so I think it makes sense to allow same-sex marriage. But ultimately, as a next step, rather than advocate for polyamorous marriage or for platonic marriage, I would like the government just to get out of the business of delegating benefits based on whether they agree with who you're fucking. Cheers to that. Right? And, I mean, there are so many people who are single, who deserve health insurance? So many people who no live one with deserves health insurance. We're <laughs> in America. I know I sound like a crazy socialist from Sweden or something, but um, I think really taking away this this breadwinner model uh, that we've had since the Industrial Revolution, where each unit of mother and child is supposedly provided for by the breadwinner who's going to be getting job benefits. Now, as we can see from the you know tons and tons of Americans who are uninsured, that is not working. Yeah. Um, white women who are single mothers are the large group of people in poverty in this country more than, you know, addicts and, you know, disabled people um, and people who don't have immigration status. I mean, it's really that we're relying on this, um, this model in which women are coerced into being in romantic relationships out of financial dependency, especially during child-rearing years. And so I think that model is ultimately broken. And so marriage is a great short-term goal. I think marriage can be incredibly romantic. I am presently planning my non-marriage, non-wedding commitment ceremony this spring, which it turns out costs just as much as a wedding. <laughs> um, and I'm very excited about it. And I think there's something very profound about making vows and having ritual in the presence of family mm -hmm. and friends. Um, and I, so I celebrate people's marriages, and I'm not dissing on the wonderful married lives many people have, but I think that that should not be the only means for us to be accessing those public benefits. And something that we've seen with a lot of creativity at various local levels is that domestic partnership policies have had accidental creativity. They might have said any two people can get uh, domestic partnered who 
are not related by blood. But they didn't actually say are in a romantic relationship. So you have two best friends, you know, being, uh, being domestic partners. Or two elderly widows. Many, many elderly widow women in California and Colorado are domestic partners with each other because they want to create a new household that's not based on a romantic relationship. So I'm excited about this creativity. And, and while we're working on disentangling these rights from the institution of marriage and having more creative, perhaps platonic domestic partnership that doesn't ask whether this is your sister or your lover or your best friend or your child, just these are two people maybe who want to share health insurance and live together and pay taxes together. I, I hope for that, and I hope for that in my lifetime, and I'll continue fighting for it. And in the meantime, I help people creatively cobble together with the laws that we have now a way that, for instance, three people could co-parent together with a co-parenting agreement, trying to do a guardianship for the third person or a third parent adoption, having three or four people share finances as an LLC, using some of the legal tools that we have that separate out. It doesn't matter whether these people are having sex with each other. They're an LLC. Just don't think about it, government. Just let them <laughs> get a common health insurance plan. So people are corporations, my friend. <laughs> people are corporations. It goes, it, it goes in different directions. It works for the lefties, too, sometimes. Awesome. Well, Diana, you've long been one of my heroes. I'm so excited about Yay. all of the work that you're doing Yay. and so thankful that you are who you are and are doing what you are doing in the world. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be having this great conversation with both of you. And I really appreciate the way that both of you are also getting the word out to people that reflecting about sex and relationships is incredibly important. So thank you for wonderful podcast and work. Totally. Yay. To that end, you want to answer some questions with us? Sure. Let's All do it. Right. Let's do it. So now on to your questions. We got a lot of amazing feedback and questions and ideas from the launch. And we're going to start with a question that we were emailed. Um, and it is, in terms of speaking about open relationships, what if you're with someone who is not interested in that? What is that dialogue like? What if someone's needs are to be in an exclusive, serious relationship? Is that where the conversation ends? Or do you get at where that need comes from? I have strong thoughts about this. Dive in. Um, I really love what my good friend Reed Mahalko at readaboutsex.com says, which is date your own species. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's really important to get to know what your own relationship style is, what your own relationship needs are, and not try to cram round things into square things. It just mm -hmm. isn't going to work. And I think that too often people have a real scarcity mentality of, oh, but this guy is so sexy and we have great conversations, like, but he's monogamous and I'm poly or... You know, or he lives in Chicago and I want somebody who's going to be here with me every day in New York. I think it's useful to be able to acknowledge like that's a wonderful connection and not the right partner for me. And I'm not going to try to force that if we want very different things. I like, I like thinking about relationship orientation, like sexual, sexual orientation or who you're attracted to or how you wear yourself gender wise. That I think relationship orientation is the same thing that people are a different place on the spectrum or web and to be aware of that is good. Um, so I am very aligned with what you said, but also is, is that always a deal breaker? Is it, can we address what would that conversation look like to find out if you're on the same page or how to navigate that if you do want to stick with it? I often, because I'm very strongly poly, um, and being polyamorous is an absolute for me and I only want to be dating people who are polyamorous, I talk about that early on. And so for instance, if I've made it to a first date level and I'm not sure where that person's at, I don't make small talk about 
movies, I actually talk about this is who I am and this is the kind of relationship that I'm in and that I want. What do you think? And just make that part of the interesting conversation of two friends or potentially two lovers getting to know each other. And if somebody is absolutely adamant that they want to be monogamous and that would never work for them, or if they say something that that does not uh, convey that they're curious, but rather appalled, mm-hmm. um, then I'm more likely to decide this person will just be a friend. If they're um, interested, if their interest is piqued by being polyamorous uh, or being open in relationships, then I might say, great, here are some books and resources. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go mm-hmm. learn about it. Go explore. Subscribe and let... to sexforsmartpeople.com. <laughs> exactly. Go go read about it. Go explore. If this seems like something that you're interested in the future, let's try having dates again. I, I've also been sort of the poly midwife for lots of people to explore it. And totally. now I'm done. And now I'm like, great. Mm-hmm. Go watch these videos. Read these books. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great resources out there. Um, and that's kind of my approach. And um, I guess I've encountered this concern with many people that I care about a lot, not at the beginning of the relationship, but with people who have maybe been together for a couple years and then are getting more in touch with their needs that way. And I do think that while it can be a deal breaker at that point, I I, I have seen people navigate that in cool ways. Um, for example, um, friends of ours, to one partner, it was more important to him to be in an open relationship than to be together and for her she would rather not be in an open relationship but she would rather be together in an open relationship than break up and they were able to come to that and they it was a kind of an arduous process getting there but both of them being so clear within themselves they actually seem to be really like thriving and they've been together like 10 or 11 years mm-hmm. um and i guess i've well, I well, I I do really agree with the date your species. I also think that that's a that's a cool thing that they totally navigated. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people can really explore together and take baby steps. And maybe if people are already committed and one person wants to be open and the other doesn't, go through really a, a process. Take workshops. Go uh-huh. avail yourself of resources. Read books together. Discuss it. And then maybe set boundaries that are appropriately paced okay i'm going to kiss somebody in front of you this weekend and let's see how that feels mm-hmm. you know you don't need to sort of have some big crazy sexual ex- escapade immediately you can ramp up and see how that feels and talk about it and communicate about it and set whatever boundaries along the continuum you want and this person has what is that dialogue like which you addressed a little bit but how would in a longer term partnership how would you go about well i think it's beginning a, to talk about i think that. an important thing to think about uh, at least the way that i like to think about it is that this is not something that's getting in the way of a relationship. This is part of the relationship. This is not, there's not a relationship and then side note, uh, I want to be poly, you want to be monogamous. This is a, a fundamental part of the, it's just a foundational part of how relationships work is being aligned on this. And uh, so, uh, what was your question? <laughs> I think um, Seventy was asking about how people bring that up if they're in an, a longer relationship. And I really agree with you, um, Dave, because I think that these conversations are part of the relationship. Yeah. And so I think that a first question might be, how much are the two of you communicating about your needs and about deep issues in the relationship? And first feel comfortable that we can have relationship conversations and it doesn't have to be a problem. Relationship yeah. conversations are part of the relationship. You should talk about things. Yeah. <laughs> and You should talk to each other about things. You should talk to each other about things, right? And so then 
being able to talk about, you know, there's something that I've been thinking about, about opening up our relationship. And there's, I mean, there's actually scripts practically in lots of the poly books of suggestions of ways people have brought this up before. Um, you could go to a couples counselor and talk about it if it's challenging, but people have done this before. Ask, ask for support, find your local poly community, read books about it. And I think that it's really doable to bring this up midstream. It doesn't have to be a symptom that there are problems in the relationship, but rather I feel like we're at a level of trust and intimacy that I can say anything now, I hope, mm. and totally, and have that heard, even if it's difficult to hear. And it should be part of a practice of being clear and open and honest with each other. I think coming out of the blue, launching into that over dinner, probably just if, if you don't make that practice yet, it's probably going to lead to uh, suboptimal results. But if you make a fierce commitment to each other or to one another that you're going to be, uh, that, that you have that you're going to talk through relationship issues, that you're going to make this part of your life together. I think that that will lead to more optimal results. I agree. I agree. Next question. Brad. We got this one uh, from the uh, Magic Golden Bag at the launch party. I don't know how to start buying toys. Sex toys. I imagine they mean sex toys. I imagine as they mean sex toys. Well, you go to Toys R Us, <laughs> find the trucks, the dump trucks. Okay, so I don't know how to start buying sex toys. Where do you start? <laughs> um, there are so many different ways. Um, if you feel comfortable, I think going to a store like Babeland with everybody who works there is also a sex educator and super excited about... Uh, talking about what you're into in a in a welcoming way and can guide you toward what might work for you. I think that can be great. They immediately point and laugh and judge, right? As in <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. That's the whole I think um there are other uh there are also websites where you can order online and they ship things with discreet packaging. So if you're receiving something at work then, then uh that doesn't have to If you get a package you're not expecting, uh don't let your coworker open it. Oh <laughs> I know what story you're referring yeah, to. Yeah well Continue, um, please. <laughs> I, especially if you work with your family. That happened to one uh -huh. of my lovers. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, there's um, adamandeve.com. What else is there? Um, I really like vibereview.com for people who live in states that, that do not allow sex toy stores, mm. um, which, believe it or not, still happens in lots of places in this country. Vibereview.com, if you don't have your own in-person sex toy store, is a great place where you can actually read reviews of other people who've used it and mm. sex educators will use the toy and write about what it's like which sort right. of simulates as much as possible the experience of going into a store and sort of putting the vibrator on your arm and thinking hmm what does this feel like and talking to the wonderful sex educator at Babeland or Mr. S in San Francisco if you're into BDSM especially if you're a gay man they'll have lots of people there who can sort of talk to you compassionately and help you steer in the right direction and for those of us who don't have that there's always online or visiting New York or San Francisco, which I recommend. <laughs> totally. <laughs> cool. Um, so our last question for today um, is, uh, you guys talked a lot at the launch about telling potential partners what you like. What about those of us who have a hard time figuring out what those things are in the first place, or who tend to like to go with the flow of things and then respond to what they're into as it's happening? What if you prefer to be surprised by a new partner and what they have to offer, or is that just a means of shying away from owning your desires? At any rate, how do you get to a place where you A, know what you like, B, know how to get specific about it, and C, are confident enough to use real words to explain it to another new human and have all that be read as really sexy and awesome? 
That's like every question. Whoa, dude. <laughs> that's 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 a really good. That's a that's a really good question. That's a really good six questions. That, uh, that I think we could talk about that forever and ever. I think there are two main parts to it. Yeah. One is about the. Um, what's the relationship to going with the flow in communication? Mm-hmm. And the other is, is about how do you get in touch with your desires and get comfortable talking about it? Yeah. I think that the first the first part of how uh, going with the flow and to what extent that's can that's a fun cool thing to do and to what extent that's just denying I don't know if there's maybe you're, is it something like denying what you really want is that something, is that something like that um, or avoiding is uh, is going with the flow just a means of shying away from owning your yeah. desires well it can be um, it certainly can be, um, but I think that, that figuring that out is part of a, again, a sort of a bigger practice of f- f- figuring out what you do want. I also think that it can be totally a fun thing to go with the flow, but I think that probably that will be more fun if you say that going into it. If you're with a new partner and and they ask you what you want after you have the sex safety talk, which you have already had, um, is to say, right now I sort of feel like going with the flow and seeing where it takes us. It might be a good practice to set up like a yellow light, red light system to make sure that if anything is going away, you don't want it to go. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah, sure. Um, yellow light, red light is um, it, it sort of, I think it's more more usually used uh, or has began in the BDSM community, which is if uh, you say yellow light, if something that is happening to you is approaching a place you don't want it to go, sort of like a, you know, slow down or back up. And red light would be, we have now crossed the line. We need to turn around. Did I get that mm-hmm. close? Um, so maybe having, uh, you know, uh, that going with the flow uh, does not mean that you no longer get to talk during the sexual encounter, right? It doesn't mean, like, you have given up your rights to say, hey, this was fun, let's keep doing that. But, uh, yeah, so, but, yeah, I guess it can be. It certainly could be a way to be hiding from your desires, but um, not necessarily. Yeah. I have thoughts on these questions. I think that it really comes back uh, to communication and trust both of these questions of sort of going with the flow as well as how do you figure out what you want Mm -hmm. i do a lot of work with women on asking for what they want i did a women who give too much teleseries for instance and oftentimes the struggle is not just how do i assert myself with what i want but how the heck do i figure out what i want i don't know i'm not experienced enough to know what i want Mm -hmm. and i think that figuring out what you want is often a process of being able to explore with people with whom you feel really safe. Totally. That could mm-hmm. be somebody who's a long-term partner, but that it could also be, this is a wonderful sex educator woman at a play party that I feel really comfortable with, and I'm going to talk to her about how I've never really tried this before, but maybe she can try it with me and go slow. Whether that be spanking, or fisting, or whatever it is you're thinking, maybe I'm going to like this, maybe I'm not going to. Trying something new with somebody that you really... Uh, have a good feeling about who has tr- you have trust with maybe somebody who's done this before um somebody you'd feel comfortable saying no to if it seemed like too much are great ways to kind of explore do i like this or do i not um and i've really learned a lot by trying things and thinking wow i don't like that yeah. i don't yeah. want to do that again yeah and i think that doesn't need to feel like a failure whether that be about sexuality or about career you know you, you try working at a place and you're like wow i never want to work at a law firm again but that's good that i know that this yeah. is not a mistake this was a good mm-hmm. learning experience and so similarly with sex and relationships just taking notes on what's not working i think is really helpful yeah I, there's so much here i really do get the appeal of going with the flow but speaking from personal experience the most profound steamiest st- sexual encounters that i've had have had have been 
when I and my partner or partners are, are very clear about our desires and, and talk about what we're, we're into going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave, I agree that red light, yellow light can be a really good thing, but I think that um, there's also something even more powerful about yes means yes, not just giving an, an out or a no. Oh yeah, totally. That's um, like and my I know that you were, I know that you weren't negating that. I just yeah. feel the need to say that. Yeah. Um, say it again. Just say it again. Yes means yes is the sexiest thing. Like the sexiest thing being asked, like somebody asking you, what do you want? Yeah. Um, so yeah, or even so, I think being asked, being asked, what I want is a it's a sexy fun thing to happen. If if you're more interested in in if you don't if you don't know yet and you're trying things, what about asking what the other person wants and giving it a shot and seeing if you like it? Is that a thing that that you? I think that's great and. Yeah. I think that especially when you're early on in an encounter, using words is great. Is using words is really helps you understand where the other person is at because unless you're in some sort of romantic comedy, having somebody grab you and kiss you may or may not be what you want in that moment. And so I really like to be asked. Um, I don't think it ruins the flow in any way for somebody to say, I'd really love to kiss you. I'd really love to pin you against the wall and kiss you. Um, and then I'll say, you should do it. I don't think that that conversation in any way detracts from the sexiness of it, and it doesn't have to be said in a clinical way. And I also think that it's really fun to ask, what are you into? Would you like for me to lick your pussy? Would you like for me to put my hand in your pussy? Would you like for me to spank you? Um, I think those conversations are really fun, and that maybe when you're getting to know somebody and you've had a little bit of that pre-conversation, if you enjoy going with the flow, especially, for instance, if somebody else is going to be more dominating and they're into that, you can say... You don't have to ask me for each step. I'll just say no, or I'll just say yellow if it's too much. But have at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you tell me what to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess to back up a couple steps, though. How do you find out what you're into? So I agree with all that you just said, but I also want to advocate for getting to know yourself well, even before entering into situations where you're exploring with a partner, and also concurrently, um, the whole thing of of um, really creating space to explore yourself and your body, taking the time to really get to love yourself and your body, to know how you like to be touched, the ways in which you like to be touched. That's a lot of, um, of learning that you can do on your own, noticing what is the reel, like the movie reel that flashes through your head when you have an orgasm, when you're alone or when you're with a partner, and then seeing what threads are within that, and then how can you think about those threads more or talk about them with a partner? I think those conversations can be really, really fun and rewarding and lead to cool explorations. I think that's a great point. And masturbate is a, a big part of what totally. you're saying, I think. And this goes yes. back to the, yeah. second, masturbate. The, the second question, which is go to a sex toy store. Try things. Uh-huh. You know, see what feels good. Try them yourself, whether that be with a sex toy, whether that just be with your just your body. I think that's really useful to have a sense of you know, what your body enjoys, what you fantasize about to share with a partner and then feel comfortable exploring. Mm-hmm. And again, to reiterate what you said, not, not licking something or finding out that something is that you're not into something isn't a failure. You've now learned something important that totally. that's not, that that's something that you don't want. This is, so I think that there's no trying things and not liking them. It's a perfectly valid response <laughs> to, 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 uh, to trying things. So we're all about trying things and talking about things, but I'd love for us all uh, three of us, highly verbal folks, to address for a second, um, where are the limitations of language, I guess? Because I think part of the going with the flow thing and about how do you talk about things, I, I'm obviously a huge believer in, in clear communication. Yeah, I love words, but words are ultimately limited. There is something real to 
to reading each other's physical energy, and I think that's part of what has to do with go with the flow. If we're presuming that con good consent practices are in play here, but to get to that point, you you need you do need to talk about getting to that point, right? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Cool. This, but I'm not just. But but the, they're they're linked. There's not. There's not. You don't have to pick one way or the other, right? These are both. These are both things that you are aware of. And, yeah, I just think yeah. they're both true. I want to acknowledge that that words are awesome, but not everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think that reading somebody's body language, you know, you touch their knee, they touch your knee back, that you make eye contact, you know, I think all of those things are ways to, to get a sense of somebody's level of interest. And I think that once you're in, you know, and in, I prefer personally, I wouldn't want somebody to grab me and kiss me generally. I still prefer being asked at that step or mm -hmm. asked at major steps like that, or like, please don't assume that I want to go home with you, you know? Um, but then I think in an encounter, you can sort of read language about what feels right, especially if you've established really good consent. I think that often men make the mistake that women want to be asked more than, than they're being asked, but that might be the very verbal women that I know. And I do hear from a lot of male friends that lots of women want to be sort of like, thrown around and dominated and not not asked um, and that that ruins their flow. I find this hard to relate to, but I know that other mm -hmm. women do feel that way. So I think this puts people in kind of a quandary about what somebody else's style in. It might come back to relationship orientation. And if again. that's your style, I think it's even more important to pre-negotiate that style before you dive into riding that flow. I think so too. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree with being asked or asking. I always ask, and people express surprise to me about this personally. You, you ask, I'm like, well, I'm about to put my tongue in someone's mouth. It seems polite to ask first to make sure that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I certainly like to be asked. I, I want to give a shout out for Beyond That, or almost like for uh, practices like Tantra or like Taoist sexuality, where it is about energy sharing. But um, in my experience, there is still a lot of negotiation that goes before that sort of going with the flow. There's in the book Urban Tantra, which I love, recommends checking in where do you feel closed or open in your body and how do you want to feel at the end of this encounter? What do you need? And then essentially sitting and breathing and looking into each other's eyes to kind of equalize your energy and then in that conscious way going with the flow within that, which may entail less checking in as you go, but maybe a, a different kind of powerful, especially within a relationship that already has a lot of trust established. Yeah. So our answer is yes. <laughs> There's so much there. Anything else you guys want to add before we move on? I think we covered that pretty well. Pretty good. As well as we can. Okay. Without a gender thesis dissertation. Right. Which we could write. Call us, email us with your questions, thoughts, concerns, ideas. Tell us where you disagree. Um, email us, call us, as Dave said. We want to address any thoughts you have on all of this. And now, the final segment. Yay! <laughs> We're calling this quickies. It's just things that we want to bring up, or rant about, or tell you, or point out, or endorse, endorse or, um, or jump up and down and scream about. Um, yeah. Dave, go first. Uh, so, after our Sexy Sexy launch party at Bowery Arts and Sciences, we got asked a number of times, um, or sort of had it suggested to us that maybe Stephanie and I are feigning neutrality in some way, that we really do have an agenda. Make uh, everyone poly. Make everyone poly. Yeah. Um, we do have an agenda, but I promise you it is not making everybody poly. Our agenda is um, toward intentionality. You should talk to one another about things. Talk to one another about things. This is the 
absolute opposite of neutrality. And I think that uh, we can, there's no, we cannot underline this too much. Intentionality is what we're after. Talking to each other about things, that was almost a sentence. Talking to each other about things, knowing where you are about your own body and about what you like and what you want and what you want to do and who you want to do it with and where you want to do it. Mm -hmm. But that does not equate with everyone in the world should be in an open relationship. Totally not. No, I would say that maybe, I would even say that maybe, you know, I'll say that I'm, yeah. Ah! Yes, we have an agenda. That is, that is intentionality. So we are not feigning neutrality about that, I promise. Um, And I want to endorse one of the things that I find sexiest these days. Um, It's been around for a while. It's this art project by Clayton Cubitt called Hysterical Literature. And it's this series on YouTube of women sitting at a table reading from a book that they love and um, someone under the table has a Hitachi magic wand vibrator and is uh, working at making them come. So they're reading and trying to not be distracted, but you're just seeing their face and they're they're reading and they're sort of um, noticing as the orgasm is sneaking up on them. And I find this so gorgeous just in the, in the framing this, this deeply human moment and in the game of it and in seeing these women in pleasure and it's pretty much the best thing ever. Really wonderful. And there, there's this, it's a whole series, um, hysterical literature and I can't recommend it highly enough. That sounds pretty great. I'm going to check that out. It's rad. So this is Diana. I just came back from the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, where I was with Stephanie and lots of other wonderful people in D.C. And that's an annual conference of Woodhull Sexual Freedom Alliance, a group I'm on the board of. And um, I had a great time. I really love the gathering and the organization and really encourage you to check them out. Um, It's woodhullalliance.org. And they really bring together um, people around the idea of sexual freedom between uh, consenting adults being a human right. I love that. And that brings together people who are poly, people who are kinky, people who are sex workers interested in those rights, people who are into reproductive rights, people um, who are just human rights activists, people who want separation of church and state. Um, Lots of really fascinating people, lots of uh, kinky First Amendment lawyers. Um, who do porn law. So it brings together my worlds of lawyers and policy people with the sex educators and the kinky people and the poly people. And so I really love that. It's a wonderful gathering. Um, and I encourage you to check them out and get on their monthly mailing list to find out sort of what's going on and maybe what messed up things are happening in your state and who you should call about it. Mm-hmm. I really recommend that. And they also have a project, the Family Matters Project. Um, and you can check out Family Matters Project, if you Google it, familymattersproject.org or through the Woodhull site. And that's really about people doing videos showing uh, with pride what their family is like. And lots of different beautiful images of family. Maybe it's two brothers that live together. Maybe I started crying when triad. I was again today. It's yeah, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's really amazing. So lots of people's stories, lots of people's videos. And I really encourage you um, to go and upload a really short video or write a little story about who you are, what family means to you, because um, it's really useful for people to have other models out there. And you can be a heterosexual monogamous couple and put a short video or picture up there. And I think that's really powerful as well. It's really powerful Mm -hmm. to see all the ways that we have family, even if it's you and your cat. Right. Mm. 
check it out. Awesome. Hey there, we're now going to get a quick update from the Bonabona Bonabo tour. Stephanie and Jillian are out on the road on a house concert slash conversation tour. They're sharing songs and talking to people from all different backgrounds uh, from across the USA about love, sex, and family. It's pretty awesome. So they've been uh, playing shows, and now you're going to hear what they're up to and then hear a song. Hello, all you smart people out there. Um, this is Jillian, one half of Bonabona Bonabo reporting from our tour. We're a little over a week into the tour and we've already stopped in Detroit and we're making our way towards Chicago now. Um, and it really, the shows have gone beyond what we even could have expected in terms of people's openness and generosity and how much they are willing to share with us of their lives. I mean, every time we put these questions into the room, about how people feel about marriage, about what their experiences were like as teenagers. I am just blown away every time that people actually then talk about those things that nobody gets out and just like runs out or changes the subject to something else. Um, which I do think speaks to people wanting to have that space, which was something that I know Stephanie and I have felt in our own lives and and had reason to think that other people were feeling like they wanted to talk about these really, really personal topics. Um, and, you know, somebody in, in one of our first shows in the suburbs of Chicago, somebody said basically exactly that, you know, that it's so crazy that these are all, all themes that are so huge in all of our lives of how we relate to one another, how we're in romantic relationships, and yet we it's not a normal practice to just talk about these things, you know, in, in polite company, so to speak. And that has been really incredibly exciting. And we've played for an uh, intentional community that came out of the Catholic workers tradition. We've played for a group of family and neighbors between the ages of 40 and 70 in the suburbs of Michigan. Um, we've played for some folks who met each other as teenagers in a Bible study group and are all still friends, but, but living some... Uh, kind of divergent lives now and we've played out on a farm um, a couple hours away from Chicago for um, all ages uh, all backgrounds group too so that has been pretty incredible so now Stephanie and I have a song we want to share with you this song was written based on some of my own experiences as a teenager uh, an experience that I think is quite common for women my age, where as a teenager I had this sense of really needing to be sexually desirable that had nothing to do with my own sexual desire. Um, you know, that idea of, of being wanted without having any idea of what you yourself want. And that's a really hard position to be in when you're kind of trapped inside this little box where you don't, you're fearful of being sexually promiscuous, you're fearful of not being sexually desirable, 
Um, it doesn't really leave you a lot of space to breathe. So I wrote this song, and Stephanie wrote some amazing verses to this song as well, with that in mind of just sort of wanting to speak to other girls who are going through that now. To younger me, learning to want nothing but be wanted. To younger me, learning to want nothing but be wanted. I remember how it was, learning shame and then to flaunt it. It was hard to find my way, those lessons left me haunted. They say you are no angel, but also you're not hot. First they call you prude, then they call you slut. Don't that make you think you're gonna split in half? No, you are whole, you are the whole thing, and the sky tastes like your laugh. I am, I am, I am, and we are whole. First he says you're stupid while staring at your ass. Then he says you're so stuck up you talk too much in class. Don't that make you feel like there's no way to win? But you are yours, you are not defined in relation to him. And I am, I am, I am, and we are whole. Everyone is gawking, but no one really sees. They all pretend to care, but never listen when you speak. Don't that make you wonder if it's better just to hide? But you can't deny how fierce your fire's shining from inside. And I am, I am, I am, and we are whole. To younger me, soon you will escape your tiny world. To younger me, you know that there's so much else to learn. Don't be stuck on being nice, always trying to agree. You'll be real, but never perfect, and a bit closer to free. glass ceiling it's true that it exists but it's clear to me that collectively we can smash it with our fists don't that make you ache for no more ceilings no more walls come on and fight and boldly sing this love song for us all i am i am i am and we So that's it for episode two. We're thrilled that you're in this conversation with us. Coming up on our next episode is the amazing Taylor Mack, genius theater artist about whom the New York Times has said, fabulousness can come in many forms, and Taylor Mack seems intent on assuming every one of them. <laughs> He's wise and wonderful and vibrant, and it's going to be great. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Find us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know what you think about anything and everything. And thanks again so much to Diana Adams and to Owen O'Malley, our amazing mix engineer, and to Priska Wenger, who made our beautiful logo. 
Stephen Colbert is the sexiest. <laughs> I agree. I think everything is the sexiest. <laughs> Compersion is the sexiest. Mm. See you next time.